Happy Mother's Day. Let me start with a question. Um, how many of you ever attempted to read through your Bible cover to cover? Anybody ever done that? Anybody successfully do that? Right? Okay, good, 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 good. I, I know for those who have ever, you know, attempted or, or successfully gotten through uh, the entire um, canon of Scripture, uh, you always start out uh, with, with excitement. I'm going to jump in, and you start to read, and you're in the book of Genesis, and you read about creation, you know, the fall, the flood, you're introduced to Abraham and his dysfunctional life and his dysfunctional family, and, and, and there's lots of good stuff, and they make movies about things that happen in the book of Genesis, and then you, you turn the page, and you get to Exodus, and you start reading about Moses and him, you know, encountering Pharaoh, let my people go, and leading across the, the, the Red Sea, and it's exciting, and again, it's you know, the book of Exodus, it's the stuff of movies, right? They make movies about things that happen in Exodus. And then you get done with Exodus and, and you get to um, Leviticus. And, and it's like that record scratch, right? And <coughs> that was painful. Shouldn't have done that. <coughs> but it gets, all of a sudden, it kind of changes tone. And you start reading, and now all of a sudden you're reading about like sacrifices and offerings and rituals and all these rules. And some of them are odd, some of them are beyond odd. They're just bizarre, right? And some have led Christians to believe strange things. Because, well, I read it in the book of Leviticus, so that must mean that I have to do that, right? Not, not realizing that what they're reading were actually words that were given by God to God's people who he was leading from a place to a place during a specific time in history. The, the reason, I think, that we get lost in the book of Exodus is because we forget that reality. We forget that the book of Exodus has a context to it. And again, and here's the context. The, the, book of, the book of Leviticus is written, again, after God has brought his people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. And, and now... They're in between where they were, Egypt, and where they would eventually be, the promised land. That's the context that God write, that God has Moses or gives Moses these laws that become the book of Leviticus. And, and what God knows is in this in-between time, he has to get them ready for what they would experience when they arrive in Canaan, in the promised land. Because he knew that his people, the people of Israel, were to be a light for other nations. They were to be a light. And in order for them to be a light to other nations meant that they would have to live differently from other nations. So God 
gave them a way to do just that. A way to be separate from other nations while being a light to other nations. It's what we read in Leviticus. It's what we come to understand is the law. See, in this part of human history, the way that God intended for God, for his people to be a light to other nations, when we read it, Thousands of years later, we read the book of Leviticus and, and we think that it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. But for outside nations who would have looked at Israel, the people of Israel, living out what was written in the book of Leviticus, it would have communicated to outside nations looking in that there is something different about this group of people about this nation, not strange or weird, but just different. As a matter of fact, different, and this is important, in the very best ways possible. Different in the very best ways possible. The law that was dropped into the culture of the world of that day was extremely compassionate. It was extremely loving toward vulnerable people. It was honoring toward women. It was just when it came to those who would oppress and be violent toward others. It was a radical governing document for Israel, but it was something that would give Israel an opportunity to be distinct, to be different, to be a light to other nations. And for Israel, for hundreds of years, they developed, I guess you could just call it this, a, a love-hate relationship with God's law. They loved the blessing that came from being God's people and the blessing that came when they followed God's law. But at times, they, they, they began to hate it when, when they appeared to be missing out, to be missing out on what they maybe perceived other nations to be doing and enjoying. And so if you follow Israel's history, they, there was this cycle. There, there was a cycle with, that would start with, with God's blessing that came from obedience, but then something happened and, and they would go from obey to stray. They would stray away from God's laws, and God then would have to discipline Israel. And they would usually use, he would usually use an outside nation to bring discipline on his people. And then his people would, would realize the error of their ways. They would repent, and God would restore them, and, and the blessing would return, and they would obey. And then after a season, they would stray, and the discipline would come, and then the repentance would come. And, and, and this was the cycle. This was their story. This was their history. Why do I say all that? Well, you'll understand in a minute, but I, I think now would be a good place to pause and say, the truth of the matter is, Israel's story is really no different than our story. Our story individually, and, and likewise, it seems to be the story of our nation. You see, thousands of years later, it feels like the church, God's people, 
we're, we're at this crossroads. We have been given instructions by God. I think the simplest way is we we don't follow the law of Moses, we follow the law of Christ, and the law of Christ is a law of love. Love God, love others. Though those are our specific, very, very narrow, but very difficult to live out at times, marching orders. This law of Christ, it is written on our hearts to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We have a hard enough time with that, so we don't need tons and tons of laws. Paul talks about the law of Christ being written on our hearts. See, we, we, we want to shine a light in the darkness. We, we want to have influence on other nations. <laughs> we want to have influence on other neighbors, right? We, we want to have influence at work. We want to have influence in our own homes, but I think sometimes it's easy, especially today, to fall into this trap where we think that in order to reach the nations or to reach our neighbor, we have to become like them. And by being like them, I don't mean just dressing like them or having conversations. I'm not talking about being weird. I'm, just, I'm talking about by, that we have to adapt their sinful attitudes, their sinful actions, their sinful ways. But you see, the truth is that that's, that's not how this works. That, that's not what following Jesus is about. It's never been the case. It wasn't the case for Israel, and it's not the case for us today. In the same way that God told Israel, you are to be distinct. You're to be different from other nations. He says to his church today, likewise, you are to be distinct. You, you are to be different from the world in which I've placed you in. You see, God has always been, and he will always be a God who calls people from something to something. And he does it for a purpose. Today we're going to look at two more names of God. One will remind us of the need to live differently, and the other will provide us with the encouragement we need to live differently. And the, the first is found in Leviticus, if you haven't figured that out. Uh, so I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20. And if you don't have a Bible, stop at our welcome desk. We'll make sure that you have one. And if you, again, don't have a Bible, we'll have the verses up on the screen. We're going to jump right into the middle of, of Yahweh giving the law through Moses. We get to Leviticus 20. He's already given a ton of information, a, a ton of offerings to, 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 to make, a, a ton of rules and rituals to follow, ceremonies and sacrifices. So, so there's a lot on their plate already to process and to, uh, to try to figure out how to, how to obey that. And then in, in uh, chapter 20, verse 7, Yahweh says this. He says, consecrate yourselves. Separate. 
Separate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And there's our name, our first name for God today. The Lord who sanctifies. Yahweh Makedesh. Yahweh Makedesh. Before we talk more about that name, before we focus on the name, let me ask you this question. When I talk about holy, holiness, what comes to your mind? Again, depending on your church background, depending on your theological bent, you might have a lot of different things that come to your mind. Uh, Growing up in the church world that I grew up in, holiness was often connected to, to external practices, the way you dressed, right? The, the way you talked, the, the, the places you went, or more importantly, the places that you didn't go. Hol- holiness was, was, uh, was about external conformity. For, for some, when you think of holiness, you, you think about ethical purity or some kind of moral behavior. We've talked about holiness recently, uh, at last, I think toward the beginning of last year, but it needs to be repeated often. When we, when we think of holiness, the, the word holy literally means to be set apart from something for something. It, it means to be set apart from something for something. And I, I don't know about you, but, but how many of you grew up, and, and maybe it wasn't your house, maybe it was grandma's house, but you, you grew up going to a house or living in a house that had a room that was holy. It was set apart. It was off limits. I mean, it was the room that had plastic on the couches. And you didn't play in that room. Anybody? Hold your hands up high. Okay, good, 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 good. My kids had that room. Not in our house. Our house was a free-for-all. But when they grew up and they went to Mamu's house, Mamu had a pretty room. And the pretty room wasn't a place to play because it was holy. She didn't call it holy, but she did call it her pretty room. And that was where we would, we would have special meals. And you, you didn't do things in that room because it was special. It was, it was set apart. You, you understand, right? It wasn't a common room. It wasn't a normal room. It was a special room. Maybe if you didn't have a special room growing up, maybe you had special dishes. Anybody have special dishes in your cupboards? Maybe you have your own a special cabinet. Right? This isn't the norm. These aren't our normal plates. These aren't our everyday plates. They're our fine china. We pull them out at Thanksgiving. We pull them out at Christmas. We, we pull them out when special guests come to our house. They're not common. They're not normal. They're, they're, they're unique. They're special. They're set apart for a purpose. That's 
when we think of holiness, that's a, a good way to, to think about it. And so when the Bible speaks of God as being holy, what, is he, what does it mean? Well, it's not primary, it doesn't have um, primarily in, in, in this idea of, of a moral purity, but really the holiness of God has to do with the fact that he is completely separate the otherness of God, that he is outside of common. He is outside of normal. He is completely and utterly different than other gods. The holy God of the Bible is set apart from the common gods of other nations. And so why would I, why would I say that? Well, because in Leviticus 20, and then it's also repeated Several times in the New Testament, God calls his people to that same standard. He says, be holy. Be holy as I am holy. And again, we have a hard time thinking about what that means, what that looks like. But what it doesn't mean is that you have to dress a certain way or avoid certain things as much as you have to understand that as a follower of God, as a follower of Christ, you are set apart for a purpose. You are set apart for something unique, something special. There is a reason why you are called to be holy. Again, we're going down through this passage and he, he says of himself that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And this is where we want to flesh this out a little bit. He says, I am the Lord who sanctifies. And the word sanctified is another way of saying set apart, separates, sets aside for a purpose. And so what he is saying when he gives us or gives uh, the people of Israel this self-revealing name, Makadesh, Yahweh Makadesh, he's saying that, look, I am going to lead you. I am going to lead you to become more like me by setting you apart from the culture for the purpose of reaching the culture. Because all the way back to the promise that God gave to Abraham that one day his nation would be a light to other nations, that there's a purpose in what God was doing with Israel. Likewise, there's a purpose in his call to us to be holy. Again, think about the when that Yahweh drops this name. He's in the middle of providing the people of Israel with these instructions for what he says will set them apart from other nations. And he says, look, I'm, this is going to be a way for you to live counter to every other culture on planet Earth. And again, I think we forget this. When God would eventually bring them into the promised land, it wasn't wide open, empty spaces. As Israel made their way into the promised land, there were other nations that were living there. There were other people groups that they would encounter. Who are they? Well, it's kind of a who's who of Old Testament pagan cultures. As Israel would make their way into the promised land, they would have to encounter the Canaanites, 
the Hittites, the Hivites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Moabites, the Edomites, and the Mosquito Bites. That is a pastor, like I can't not say that. There is a pastor code that says when you go through all of those nations, you have to include the Mosquito Bites statement. So any pastors out there keeping track there, I gave you the pastor joke. So, so, so again, God knew that they would have to figure out how to be an influence inside of this, this pagan world, these pagan nations that were filled with all kinds of pagan practices and pagan rituals that were brutal and that were oppressive, that were opposed to Yahweh and, and, and everything that was good and right. So God says, look, I, I got to give you the tools I've got to give you the boundaries. I've got to, I've got to give you the, the kind of culture shaping guidance so that you can fulfill your calling once you are living where I'm sending you to be a light to all of the nations around you. Again, if you were to take the time to read through Leviticus, a lot, a lot of the laws that were established were, were counter to where Yahweh would, have, would be, where, where Yahweh knew that Israel would be living. I'm going to give you one example, and then I'm going I'm to be very careful with what I say. So if you go back up to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 1, Here's, listen to these instructions that Yahweh gives. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the people of Israel, Any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who gives any of his children to Molech, shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all, close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. Like, what's all that all about? What in the world? Do you remember a few months ago when, when Jacob talked about Abraham and Isaac and he talked about child sacrifice being a thing? This is the thing. Like, literally, people in some of these pagan nations that, that had Molech as one of their gods would literally sacrifice their children to the God Molech. And so why did God have to put that in? Well, if, if ch child sacrifice wasn't a problem, if it wasn't a thing, then maybe he wouldn't have to address it. But he, he, he addressed it because it was a problem. So he's like, you're going to get into a land where you're going to see other nations literally sacrificing their children. Don't do that. Don't do that. And so today... God says, look, Christ followers, there, there are molex in your culture. 
Don't sacrifice your children to them. Don't, sac your, don't sacrifice your children to these molecs of modern culture. And here's where I want to be careful because this is not the message. When you hear me say that, immediately something comes into your mind. And you're probably right. What comes into your mind is probably a molech, an idol that as Christians we need to push back against because our nation is sacrificing our kids left and right. And we need to push back against it. But let me challenge you. Those areas that you're thinking about that come from one side of the aisle, there's probably something on the other side of the aisle, your side of the aisle, that you need to push back on as well. It's just true. We can't, if, listen, if we're, gonna be, if we're going to be a people who cares about our kids, then we need to look across the spectrum of issues in our culture and say, okay, how does this issue inform my thoughts about how to protect kids? Some of them are easy. Some of them are a little bit more challenging. And some of us, because of our political perspective, we want to point our fingers at one and turn a blind eye to the other. And as Christians, we can't do that. We can't pick. I, I, I think God is holding, is holding and will continue to hold us accountable as a people, as a nation, and as the church. If we don't figure out how to stand up and speak out when it comes to a culture that continues to sacrifice our kids. And y'all can take that and process it. And, and I'm being very, I'm, I'm not saying anything specific on purpose because I think it cuts across the spectrum of several issues. But I think it's important that as Christians that we think it through, um, through this filter of, of like, we've got to be different. We, we, we've we've got to stand up. We, we've got to speak up across the board. So again, if you want to have a conversation, a cup of coffee about some of the details and some of those things that are in my head and in my heart, happy to do it. Just not going to do it now. Thank you, Jesus. So when the people of Israel heard, heard that it was God Yahweh, who would Kadesh them, right? He would be the one to separate them, to sanctify them. They knew three things in that moment. Number one, it meant they were to live differently from other nations. Okay, we have our marching orders. We're supposed to live differently. Number two, it meant that they could trust God to see it through, that God would be the one to help lead them to this place where they could live differently. And it was a reminder that they were special and that they were special and set apart for a purpose. But, like we mentioned earlier, over time, the people of Israel would come to learn that sanctification is a hard and ongoing process. It, it, they would learn by experience 
that they would fail time and time again and fall into sin that needed to be dealt with because they were not perfect. They needed Yahweh Makadesh to continue to work in their lives, to continue to work in their hearts, to continue to move them to live holy, separated lives. What does that have to do with us today? Well, it has everything to do with us today because just like them today, um, <laughs> the, the process of sanctification is hard. The, the process of learning to live differently, the, the process of learning how to be a light to the nations, to our neighbors, at our workplace, and amongst even our family and friends, Man, it's a process that, that we'll take two steps forward and one step back. We'll, we'll make progress for a season and then, then we'll, man, we'll, we'll screw up. And, and so I think right now would be a good place for me to remind us of some things about sanctification from a theological perspective. And I'll do this quickly. When we think about sanctification, there are three ways for us to think about it. The first one is this positional sanctification. And what do I mean by that? Well, here's what I mean by that. The moment that we bow our knee to Christ, that we repent of our sins and put our faith and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, God justifies us. He makes it so that when he sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see our, our sin. And so there's a theological term that is, that's called justification, but another way to say that is positional sanctification. Or we can say, I have been set apart. When you trusted Christ, you were kadeshed. Did you, did you know that today? You were kadeshed. You were set apart by Yahweh. He placed you in a completely different place. He placed you in his family. He placed you inside of and under the righteous umbrella of Jesus Christ. You were kadeshed. But how many of you know that, that, that uh, sin continues to rear its ugly head inside of you, right? And you still struggle with sin. Well, that's where the next part of sanctification comes in. This is progressive, progressive sanctification, Progressive sanctification means I am being set apart. In the same way that you were Kadeshed, you are being Kadeshed. You are in the process of becoming more and more like Christ. And, and, and here's the thing in the same way that God told Israel, consecrate yourselves, be holy, there was something for them to do in the process. Likewise, there are things that we do in the process of sanctification. We choose daily to live our lives in surrender to God. That's a choice that we make. We choose daily to open up the word of God so that the word of God can get inside of us, so the word of God can transform us. We choose every day to walk in the spirit, the spirit that lives in us, that gives us power and strength and wisdom and, 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 and the boldness to, to actually follow Jesus, right? We, we do that daily. We choose to walk in the Spirit. We choose to open God's Word. We choose to obey. We are part of the process, knowing that ultimately God 
does the heavy lifting. See, this process never ends. Why? Well, just like the children of Israel, (laughs) many of us had many years of bondage that we're dealing with. We weren't in bondage in Egypt. We were in bondage to our own sin. And so it takes a lot of time to deal with all of our baggage. Then, praise God, there is going to be a permanent sanctification. Another theological word for that is glorification. We've been justified, we're being sanctified, and one day we will be glorified, or that's when the permanent sanctification happens. I will be set apart. One day we will be completely sanctified when we are physically and forever with Jesus. Not until then. But I'm thankful that one day the, the, the process will be complete. And I love the words of Paul that he wrote to the church of Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 when he said, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And so today, if we're struggling with our own sanctification, be encouraged that God, Yahweh, Makadesh, he says that I will continue to do this work in you. I will make it happen. And I know we think, you know, this is so difficult, and especially in the world that we're living in today, it's so much easier for me to just blend in, to just go along and get along. Man, I, I just, I, it's hard. It's hard to stand out, to, to be different in today's culture, in today's world. I get it. I get it. And what can we lean on if we find ourselves a bit shaky, a bit unstable, tempted to give up and give in? Well, I'm glad you asked. And that leads us to the second name. There really isn't a name as much as it is a, a metaphor. And that's Yahweh Zuri. God is my rock. God is my rock. God, there's a lot of metaphors used to describe God in the in the scriptures, right? He's a strong tower. He, he's a light, right? He's an anchor, right? So this idea of Yahweh Zuri, what do you, when you think about a rock, what do you think about? You know, for me, there's lots of images that come to my mind. I think of something that's hard, that's tough, that's durable. A rock, a, a big rock is steady in storms. It provides security. You can, you can hide underneath or, or next to a rock when, when things are shaky. And, and so again, what does it mean when we think about Yahweh, Zuri, that God is my rock? Well, clearly, we know. We know that God is strong, that he's unmovable. He, he's unshakable, that he is a, a refuge, a place to hide for his children in the time of need. Moses, at the end of his life, before he died, wrote a song. You can read and maybe even sing the song in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse, and Deuteronomy chapter 32, and he uses the, the, the metaphor of God being a rock several different times. Deuteronomy 32, 4, he says that the rock, his work is perfect, 
for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. That's how Moses described, or he, he thought about Yahweh Zuri. In most of the Old Testament references, God is not just simply described as a rock, but he is he, but he is the rock. The Israelites then knew that God was not just a source of strength, but he was the source of strength, the source of protection. He wasn't just a hope, he was their only hope. He wasn't just a refuge, he was their only refuge. They could trust him in those moments that they were tempted to cave into culture. They could trust that as he was calling them to be set apart for a purpose, he would give them the strength that they would need to stand against the waves of culture. Moses pointed out in this song that Israel had an advantage over other cultures, over other nations. Deuteronomy 32:21 says this, "For their rock is not our rock. Our enemies are by themselves." We have this advantage because we have Yahweh Zuri. And so when God's people trusted him, they were able to find courage and hope and strength. They were able to rely on his love to give them security and safety from anything and anyone that would come and and tempt them and test them and try to suck them into their mold, to pull them into their ways so they could stand strong in the middle of trying times. But the children of Israel, as we've already said, often forgot this, or they ignored it. And so in Moses' song, it's interesting, he addressed that. In Deuteronomy 32, 18, he said, You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God that gave you birth. You were unmindful. Listen, how many times are we unmindful of Yahweh Zuri? of this rock who promises to give us the strength that we need, to give us the courage that we need, to give us the backbone that we need to push back and resist against the pull of the culture that we live in. Isaiah talked about it as well. Isaiah 17, 10 says, For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Isaiah 44, 8, fear not nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it and you are my witnesses? Is there a God beside me? There is no rock. I know not any. They needed to be reminded of the rock. David wrote about what it means personally for God to be his rock. He described how he is a, the steady refuge and how the Lord would sustain him. And, and he believed deeply in God's presence as, as the shelter from all of his difficulties. Listen to how David described Yahweh Zuri. Psalm 62.2. He said, he alone is my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. Psalm 18, 2, he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Hmm. Is that something that you could write about 
your God? Have you come to see him and understand him in that way? Maybe if in your day-to-day life, you have a, tempta- or a tendency to bend toward culture, to be squeezed into culture's mold, it's because you've not come to know him as the rock, as Yahweh Zuri, the, the one who you can lean on, the one that you can take refuge in, the one that you can stand on. You know, Jesus told a story about two builders, right? One who built their house on a sand and one who built their house on a, on a rock. That imagery from the Old Testament carries into Jesus' teaching. And again, if you find yourself continuously falling and failing to live set apart, to live different and distinct from the world that you are a part of, check your foundation. Check what you're building on. Because if you're building on the rock, Yahweh Zuri will give you what you need. Because Yahweh Makadesh has promised to do it. He will set you apart. He will give you the ability to to firmly plant your feet on himself, on him, so that when struggles and temptations and storms and arrows are thrown at you, you can say, look, my feet are set. I'm gonna, this is where I stand. And I get culture is shifted and changing and you got this going on, you got that going on. I'm just going to stick with the rock. I'm just going to trust that Yahweh Makadesh is continuing to set me apart. I'm going to continue to trust in the chief cornerstone, who is Jesus. He is the rock that makes men stumble, right? But when we trust in him as, as our cornerstone is our chief cornerstone we can have all the confidence all of the confidence that we need so when you think about being Kadesh where are you at are you allowing God to do that are you actively pursuing it or are you getting squeezed into the mold of culture have you forgotten that the rock can give you the strength and hope that you need when the storms of culture rage I'm going to ask the worship team to come and we're going to respond Starting today and, and, and really carrying out through the summer while, while we're away, um, we, we want to continue to make our morning gatherings uh, meaningful and we want to give people, uh, just like we always do, the chance to, to respond to what God's word has taught them and, and how the spirit of God has spoken uh, to them. But one of the things that we're going to do um, intentionally but a little bit differently is at the end of every gathering, um, our care group leaders, and I'm going to say it this week and next week, but then as we start having our guest speakers through the summer, uh, care group leaders will just know to just do this. But our care group leaders are just going to come up and just stand in the front. And uh, if whether it's your care group leader or just a care group leader, that you would say, hey, I have something going on in my life that I'd like to have, have them pray for, 
that would give an opportunity for you to do that. We all have good intentions. I'll catch them after service. I'll send them a text or whatever. But sometimes just in the moment, if, you're, if you recognize there's something going on in my life, there's something that's happening this week, that I just want somebody to pray for me, that's what the care group, care group leaders are going to just kind of be in the front ready, ready to do. And so, you know, today, the same thing. Uh, if God's word, God's truth is connected with you, uh, there's something that you need somebody to pray for you about, uh, we want to do that. And if you're here and you're not yet following Jesus, you're not yet a Christian, that's the first step, is to put your hope and faith in him alone. And if you've never done that, I'd love to help you take that step, maybe even this morning. So let's pray, and then we'll respond as God leads us. Father, we love you. Thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. I pray that it would continue to change us, make us more like Jesus. May we continue to be a people who are continually being kadeshed, being set apart for a purpose. And that purpose is to shine a light to our neighborhoods, to our our county, to our state, God, and to the world. Uh, Give us the ability to do that in in small ways, big ways, and in all ways in between. We love you, Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and you respond. Care group leaders, come on up. and, And if somebody wants prayer.